Welcome to season two of Soul Conversations, a podcast where two Korean adoptees uncover the heart and soul of what it means to be both Asian American and adopted through the sharing of adoptee stories. I'm Shanae. And I'm Benny. And this week we are joined by fellow Korean adoptee, Hannah Lee. Hannah, it's so great to have you with us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Hannah, you're coming to us from Kansas. What are the top three things that one would do in Kansas and what would be your recommendations? to do? Well, we have really great sports teams. <laughs> we have <laughs> uh, the KU Jayhawks. They're pretty cool. Um, we have the Kansas City Chiefs. We have Kansas City Royals. They're making a pretty big splash or have been recently, so we're hoping they can keep that momentum going. I'm actually going to be going to a Chiefs game uh, for my birthday at the end of this month, so I'm really excited about that because I've never been to a Chiefs game before, which which is, you know, I'm an embarrassment to all Kansans, but that's <laughs> just kind of the way it goes. Um, so, yeah, really excited to go to a Chiefs game for my first time this year. And then other than that, uh, we have some great barbecue. That's, that's oh. more Kansas City, too. Oh. But we have some yes. really great barbecue places. Um, I'm really into Joe's or Gates. Shout out to Joe or Gates. And then another favorite thing I love to do in Kansas is sleep because there's really nothing going on here ever. Um, (laughs) So I spend a lot of time online checking out what everyone else has going on and the cool places they live and what I'm missing out on. And I take lots of naps and that's what has going on. (laughs) So we all share some mutual friends in the John Chi show and you recently did a uh, hot sauce challenge with our friend Patrick. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that experience. Do you, do you like hot sauce? Um, I am not a huge fan of heat. Uh, I have been trying a lot more hot things since I have been trying more authentically Korean foods because there's some really, really hot Korean foods. My actual purpose behind doing the hot ones challenge with Patrick is because my work with the Universal Asian was going to want me to uh, do start doing some lives online. And I was really nervous about doing anything like that. So I thought the best approach would be to do a hot ones challenge with a buddy and mm-hmm. and have a focus other than just some chit chat. And I think, I think we nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> it went well. I have heard from people that they really enjoyed it, that it was a good fun time. And I think Patrick suffered far more than me. So that was, it, it, it turned out fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He was suffering pretty bad, but yeah, I remember tuning in um, midway through the challenge, and he, his shirt was just completely soaked. <laughs> I could <laughs> I feel bad, but I also was laughing because I oh I yeah. Go through. But the the best part about that whole thing was he was saying continuously that it was hot in the room, and he kept blaming his fiance and being like, "Emily must have turned the air, you know, the temperature up," and and it's just really hot in this room, and. As the hot sauces got progressively hotter, his kind of sweat beard on his shirt got longer and longer, <laughs> and it was hard to blame Emily, I think, by the time it was <laughs> At least it was in plenty advance of their wedding. It's not like you did it the night before. <laughs> yes, yes. And, it, you know, it was a, 
it was a really great icebreaker, I think, for he and I, because we had done the, the GFC show together, but also we were preparing to meet each other in real life. And I can be very awkward, socially awkward in person. Welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I also kind of thought, you know, how, how great of a kind of icebreaker for us. So when we meet in person, it's not a thing because we went through something ridiculous together. So, yeah. Absolutely. You mentioned Universal Asians, which I would love to hear more about, you know, so our listeners can understand what that is. But maybe before we get into that, tell us a little bit more about yourself so our listeners can get to know you. How would you uh, describe yourself? And, you know, obviously, you know, you're living in Kansas, but, you know, when someone asks, who is Hannah, what would you say? Oh, my goodness. I guess I would say I'm doing my best. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Tell me about yourself. Like, well, I'm just doing my best. I am a Korean adoptee. I was brought here when I was four months old. And I arrived on Kansas Day, which is January 29th, I believe. And I also wrote a book recently called The Once Who Misbehave. So I am trying to work on kind of promoting that and and talking about that a little bit. And, you know, really, I think the main reason I wrote my book was because I, I came out of the fog when these attacks on Asian people started happening. And I think that was the first time in my life when I started seeing the attacks on Asian people that I was able to really see this division between the white community I was part of and myself. And I, I felt like there's a huge disconnection because I had no one I could talk to and no one that would understand that could, that could understand. And even though they tried to listen, they didn't understand. And I could feel this huge divide for the first time in my life, honestly. And I felt so alone and lost. And it was before I had really found the adoptee community and the Asian community. And before I honestly realized I was Asian myself, and it took seeing those attacks on other people for me to see myself reflected back as who I really am, and that I'm I'm a person of color, and it's hard to be surrounded by whiteness with something like that happening because there's no capacity of understanding, even from my husband, my closest friends, and my family, and so I wrote this book to myself really. Uh, I started Mm -hmm. writing as an outlet for my feelings and my thoughts. And I brought in a lot of past traumas and experience I personally had with racism. And I incorporated a lot of the attacks that were uh, being splashed across the news and tried to incorporate some of those stories into the characters um, in my book so that there would be an array of different ways Asian people struggle And I think especially when you're an Asian person in a predominantly white environment, there's a huge struggle there, which then leads into a slew of trauma and mental health issues that you can't explain to most people. So I I based my book in a mental health recovery center, like a wellness and recovery center, um, mostly because when I did reach out to my family, they all told me how crazy I was, that I was 
you know, crazy. And I was seeing things that weren't happening and it was awakening for me. So I really just took all those things and put them into a book because I had no one else to talk to. And as I was doing this research and reading so many books by adoptees and reading as much as I could books by Asian people, Asian struggles, the history of our Asian struggles, and and really only discovering all these things for the first time in 2020. So I haven't been out of the fog that long. But there was just so much that I was able to get it all down in three months. And like I said, from the experiences happening and my past experience, just just all coming out. And then I was so fortunate to find Adoption Truth and Transparency Worldwide Network because they had so many books I read during the time I was researching and going through all this and trying to find connection. And when I reached out to them and said, I I am so lost and I don't know what to do, but I wrote this and I hope someone can see something in it that's valid. And they they took it and they said, give us three months, we'll have this out for you. That's incredible. So, yeah, so I have been extremely fortunate throughout my journey that so many people are in the same space that I am and and that they came before me, that so many people have had these experiences that, that came before me to build all these networks you know, like you guys and dear Asian Americans. And I, you know, I could name a million people I went to for community and connection. And I'm just so grateful. I guess dear Asian Americans isn't adoptees, but they're for Asians. But, you know, you guys have podcasts out and there are social media networks and there's groups constantly happening on Clubhouse. And there's so much that I was so fortunate this community existed at the time I needed them the most. What was running through your mind as you're jotting down your thoughts on paper in writing these stories and chapters? And now looking back on that today, what would you like your readers to really get out of this book from your personal you know, vantage point? What do you want readers to really embrace as they go through the ones who to behave? I think... What I really want people to take away is that we don't need to be alienated or feel isolated for having these traumas in our life and these struggles in our life. And I think a lot of times when we struggle alone, we're not able to see how many people are exactly mirroring what you're going through at that time and have the same stories and the same traumas. And I want people just to be able to take away that, yes, there are many stories that are sad and there are many stories that are terrible and they're hard to listen to and they're hard to read about. But if we're willing to do the work and build uh, relationships with people we don't have to feel alone ever. You know, there, there's so many people sharing the same struggles that you are, but you have to be willing to find them, I guess. Uh, and I just, I wrote this, like I said, because I felt so alone and isolated. And, and in writing, I really was talking to myself. I was doing all this for myself, but then in turn realized there's a lot of people going through a lot of things 
And I wanted to really bring awareness to the struggles Asian people face on a regular basis. But I also wanted it to be a book that Asian people or, or any race could pick up and read and understand the Asian struggle, as well as what adoption trauma truly is. I wanted it to make it a story that, that was kind of general enough that someone could pick it up and read it and maybe gain a little insight and understanding so we can better empathize and support each other. Yeah, I think what stood out when I read your book was just the fact that, you know, you did pull on so many personal experiences, but it was a fictional book, which I think really lent itself well to tackling all of the things that you wanted to cover because it gave you that freedom, you know, outside of like a memoir or an autobiography to really expand and kind of cover that whole plethora of experiences, whether you were Asian American and more specifically, if you were an adoptee. Yes. I also, (laughs) it was very strange because I wasn't sure in writing it how I should do it because I did put so much of my own story uh, and memories into it that, I guess not memories, my experiences into it, that uh, I wasn't sure how to say everything I wanted to say without pointing a finger at certain people Mm -hmm. Um, for certain behaviors, because many of the people who did those behaviors that I talked about in my book are still friends of mine, are still in my life in some way, shape, or form. And I had to be conscious and sensitive to that as well. So I think writing it as a fiction novel gave me more uh, flexibility to not single any particular person out so that it could be generalized by everyone who read it that you know, this wasn't this one person who did that. This is something a lot of people do. A lot of mm-hmm. white people say a lot, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. But yeah, I really wanted to make it something that was relatable to different people. Hannah, you bring up an interesting topic. You know, a lot of our guests on this podcast and also people that we've, I'm sure we've had conversations in passing, always have this challenge of coming out of the fog, but also navigating our acceptance of our true selves and how that's going Mm -hmm. to be reflected or taken by our friends and family who think or thought they knew our true selves for all of these years. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, read your book or read a post that we may have put out that's very genuine. I think we try to be careful of not trying to make a blanket statement for everyone, But how has your experiences been within your existing community and has that changed at all? And what would you say to any of our listeners that may consider going through, you know, a a very similar process or or may, you know, going through that right now? It's interesting um, because when you write something that's personal like this and you know it's about the people around you for real, (laughs) And then you have to assess who is this going to hurt? Who is going to distance themselves from me for talking about this? Who is going to be angry at me? You think about all those things. But in finding this community, I was embraced and lifted up and given so much support and I think confidence for once that my voice was valid and my truth was valid and that I had the right 
to tell my side of the story in so many ways that I didn't need to continue to minimize and diminish who I was to keep people in my life who were not supportive or understanding or or even capable of putting in the work to educate themselves to understand my side of things. Um, And I really had to make a lot of choices about who I was willing to let go in my life for myself. And I can honestly tell you it's it's been a huge struggle. I've had majority of people in my life distance themselves from me, um, friends I've had for years who just do not understand me. You know, I've been rebellious my whole life and I've been very vocal about the things I care about my whole life, but not on this level. And I think not in this way. So I think for a while, a lot of people kind of thought I was maybe just acting out. And so let's just go along with it and see what happens. But the longer I've continued on this journey, they're starting to really understand this is not a phase. This is who I am now. And they may find that voice intimidating or too dark or too negative. And I understand that side. But I think the most important thing for ourselves to heal is to be able to believe in what you're doing and believe in the purpose behind it and know that it's for something so much bigger than people's petty gossip or their opinions of me or their belief in who I was, because I didn't make them believe that about me. They projected that belief of who they thought I was out there. And so I've really had to decide that I can't hold myself responsible for other people's feelings anymore. And I think it's been really healing to kind of let that that side of things go, because a lot of people's lives are spent listening to their parents, listening to their parents' advice, uh, following instructions. Um, smiling and waving and doing all these things that we grew accustomed to doing. And so for the first time, when you think to yourself, these people are pulling away from me because of these behaviors, initially, you shrink back into that childhood self and you think, no, I don't want my mom and dad to be mad at me, but I'm an adult now and I have to make decisions about who I am. And unfortunately, that leaves people behind. And it's It's sad and it's something I struggle with and it's something I think about a lot. It weighs heavy on my mind, the people who are no longer in my lives or or not present right now. I don't know if they'll come back later, maybe, maybe not, depending on my journey. But I want people to be confident in their voices. And I think once you are, everything else turns into background noise and is less that voice in your head constantly telling you you're wrong or you're bad or or you're hurting other people because these messages are, are more important to put out there because of who it connects with. And the people who don't understand, it's kind of <laughs> on them, I think, to catch up in a way. Well, and it sounds like in the process of sort of shedding, you know, certain layers of people that you've also really found a very supportive community. It's not that you've just kind of let things go, but you've also gained a lot, it seems, in this whole experience. 
Yes, I know it sounds really weird to say, you know, I kind of exchanged one family out for another family. But in all reality, if your family in general is willing to let you go over these things and not embrace you the way a community of strangers is willing to do, it really makes you look at your family unit and say, it seems like everything everyone's saying is right. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I need to maybe cut my losses a little bit because you can connect with people like you and you don't have to feel that anxiety of explaining every little thing. This is offensive because of this. I messed up because of this. Today I'm struggling because of this, you know, and you don't have all the intrusive questions or just the thoughtless questions because everyone knows where you're at because they're there too. And maybe that's not fair to do to family and friends who simply don't have any idea the reality behind my reality. But as I said, my husband started same place as me and he has been willing to do the work and he researches on his own and he watches things on his own and he learns as much as he can about how to be a support to me and that's been huge because i know so many couples who split up you know pandemic related race related simply done with each other really you know anything and so i am completely blown away by the people in my life who are willing to do the work and also disappointed and shocked at the people who wouldn't even try. Hannah, you mentioned that you are very collaborative, it sounds like, with your husband, and I'm sure that you lean on each other many different times. And you have your own family as well, and you have a child. And with your experiences and you know, coming out of the fog, what kind of world do you hope that your child grows up in and other people that are similar in age to help them feel confident and strong in whatever they want to be? Sure. Yeah. I have a kid. Um, they go by six and they use they, them pronouns. They are about to be 15. So we're getting into driving age, which makes me uh, slightly nervous, <laughs> but Let's go on that adventure. But uh, yes, they identify as non-binary and trans. And they have a group of friends that are all within the LGBTQ spectrum. And they're all very supportive and networking. And honestly, I've been very impressed with the schools here in Kansas being very, very supportive in um name changes, consistency on they, them pronouns, because I think it's still a struggle for a lot of people. And a lot of people would believe that Kansas is conservative Republican, which they are. So you would think it would be a huge fight. And I've been very fortunate to not have to have that fight. It's, it's literally been a, what can we do to support your child situation? And I think one of the biggest things for people, especially my kids age, is to know that there's so much more in the world than what you see on the internet or what you may be exposed to, uh, especially having a phone in your hands at all point in time. 
they live in a virtual world. They live in a world that I think it's hard even for us adults sometimes to navigate living in an internet-based space because it's not reality. There's a lot of great diversity and there are a lot of great role models, but there's also a lot of negativity. There's a lot of talking behind a keyboard that's detrimental to, to mental health and growth. And so I think one of the most important things for this younger generation to know is that being authentically yourself is real. Any bullying that happens on the internet is cowardice and should not be taken as real life, real conversations. Internet life is, is a struggle. And that's all the kids growing up now know. So it's a little scary as a parent too to navigate that a little bit. How do you feel or do you feel that your experience coming out of the fog personally affected your parenting? Do you think it made you more empathetic? Do you think that it was a catalyst for certain conversations? Or was it really even just the raising of your child that maybe was a catalyst for your own coming out of the fog? Was What was the relationship like between those two things? Really, my coming out of the fog was exactly at the same time as the idea that I realized I was Asian. I mean, I knew I was Asian, but I didn't acknowledge it as being what I realize it is now. And so I think a lot of me coming out of the fog and a lot of my sharing with my child and experiences with them were more race related and in wanting to start talking to my child about the half of them that's Korean and wanting them to understand this is valuable. This part of you is valuable. It's not an embarrassment. It's not something you can hide and it should be something you're proud of. And I'm working very hard as a parent to understand and be closer to my culture and my heritage. And I have spoken to several, um, you know, DNA relatives on 23andMe that are amazing and I'm just trying to grow in my Koreanness because I want to share that with my child so they're proud so they're not hiding that so they're they're not ashamed and you know there have been conversations I've had with my kid where they don't feel like they have the right to speak up about certain things as a person of color because they claim to be uh, white appearing and if you're white appearing, you don't get to have certain opinions or say certain things or stand up for certain things. And I try to make sure that they know their voice is valid and that they are a person of color and they should not have to suppress their voice because they're part white or don't feel like they're 100% a person of color enough to raise their voice on racial issues. So I think as far as parenting goes and like coming out of the fog and the adoption side, it hasn't been as much of a conversation as so much as your Asian identity is valuable and you should be proud and you should recognize it and trying to work as a parent to be proud of it myself so that I can let my child know why they should be proud. <laughs> to be Asian. It's weird. I don't know, I guess, when it comes to adoption things, how to explain it. 
it's it's complicated. It's very complicated. And especially, I, I mean, my child has grown up in our family and understands my relationship to my parents and my dynamic with other family members that I have. But I don't think they quite understand what it means to be adopted and what happened that caused my adoption and the fact that most people who are taken from their parents have this trauma and, you know, some of them look for their biological parents and some of them don't. Adoption is so complicated and I just, I don't know how to have that conversation quite yet because I don't think I'm fully sure of how I feel sometimes. Does that make sense? I, I, Absolutely. I just, yeah, like sometimes I just don't know. I don't know how I got here. I just, you know, I, I came on this journey and I realized I was adopted, but I'm not in a space yet as a parent to confidently explain how those feelings affect me and my life and affect who I am as a parent, I guess. I'm just not sure yet. To be continued. I think a lot of people are sharing that space with you. It seems so many adoptees that, you know, I've spoken to or we've had on the podcast, I think we're all sort of on some level collectively learning how to talk about our experiences as adoptees and talk about our feelings. It seems like there's this whole new set of vocabulary and terminology and self-actualization or realization that we're all kind of going through this big cathartic movement together in a way, even though we might be at different points. Um, so yes. I think you definitely aren't alone in that. Well, thank you. <laughs> that makes it see, and these conversations make me feel so much better because, you know, I know that's an important factor of who I am, but also my, my child is their own person and they have their own issues and their own things going on in their life. And, you know, being a trans biracial individual is hard enough as a struggle to find identity and, and being a, a teenager on top of that. It's something, it's a conversation that can wait until later when they have gone through some more life and understand a little more about identity struggles and things like that. Then we can come back to this and I can, you know touch base on it with them, I think. But for right now, we're just navigating teenager, trans identity, biracial identity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and learning how to drive, it sounds like. And learning how to learning drive. How to drive. <laughs> That's enough. Yes. That's it. <laughs> oh, wait. So I, we got to ask, though, is Six going to be getting a car at 16 or is is going to work for it, summer jobs? Okay. My child, I'm not trying to brag, but I'm bragging a little. My child is extremely gifted um, and I've been blown away, just blown away by this kid's imagination and creativity and intelligence. And they don't care what anyone thinks. They don't care what their friends think. They're very into being good, being good at school and doing well. And and that's that's a priority to them. And that's not something I've pushed on them. I simply ask that they do their best. And I've been so, so excited to see my kid thriving and being so advanced that they were taking, you know, high school classes and middle school, and then getting to high school and being in honors classes and having 
been in a gifted program and getting a lot of additional acknowledgement and attention for how smart they are. So uh, I've been very proud watching that. And so because of that, I have decided that I don't want them to get a job <laughs> because I, I want their sole focus to remain on, on being the best they can be here because they've not given me any indication that they're not going to plan on doing well in the future. So it's actually funny when you tell your kid, I don't think you should get a job. I really want you to focus on school. And then my kid comes back to me and they're like, all my friends are getting jobs. Can I please work here? It's just like, <laughs> you're, you're begging me to work. So there is, <laughs> so as of right now, I am not making them work for funds. I don't know if that's going to affect their credit score in the future <laughs> when they start dealing with like oh, real boy. life, you know, saving for things, working for things. But I feel like right now the focus should be on, on, on just school and I'm willing to <laughs> make up for all that by just giving them a car. I was like, it's not going to be a new car and it's probably not going to be one you like, but it will, be, <laughs> you will get a car. You'll get a car. So gets you from point A to point B. Yes. <laughs> and I, and you know, then I'm like, and then after X amount of years, if you have not totaled this car, mm. <laughs> we will look at maybe getting a car you actually want to drive. Hannah, you mentioned sometimes we all go through it and I really can resound with what you mentioned earlier of a lot of people in this world, including Korean adoptees, might tend to minimalize things. And I just minimalized that statement right there. <laughs> um, but you also are very passionate and an advocate of embracing your mental health, whether it's good or bad, and also managing the public sides of mental health and you know when is it appropriate to say certain things or or be open about what you're truly going through tell us a little bit more about your passion in that space and what you really have learned over the past you know couple of years where it feels like everything's kind of coming to you know this point where it feels like everyone wants to step out but maybe doesn't have the tools or the confidence yet to really address their mental health challenges? Sure. When I started kind of growing followers on, on social media, I noticed then my mental health declining. And then as I've taken on a lot more in the online spaces, um, I run social media for the Universal Asian. So I, I run four of their social media platforms. And then I also run my social media as myself. Uh, so as an author, as an, as an activist, as someone who's willing to travel to support people and trying to navigate all these things has really made me decide that I can't hide my struggles with mental health issues. I tried for a very long time to, to keep up with things, to make it appear as though I wasn't lagging or that anything was wrong and you cannot do that and it, there came a time when I I learned that I needed to be real with people I needed to be transparent I needed to be honest and I felt like mental health was such a huge important thing to talk about and communicate to people 
because so many people are going through the same things or we're seeing the same things and struggling exactly at the same time I was with those things. And I found when I would talk about it or do a story, you know, just letting people know I was going through something or that I had seen something and was really struggling. I was shocked actually the first time I did it at the outreach of people who came to my aid. And I mean, this was like three in the morning and it was, it was an immediate response of whoever was up who saw it. They didn't know me. They didn't, they've never met me personally, most of these people, but I was shocked and and touched by how many people were like, I just saw that too. I need to talk about that too. Let's talk about it. But I've grown to really appreciate the fact that when I have these struggles with my mental health, whether it being overwhelmed with running social media sites and having all this exposure then to like the universal Asians, people they're following and the people I'm following and all of it can be a lot. So it got to a point where my struggle couldn't be hidden and it, it, was, it wasn't just a personal struggle, I realized. And so I try hard now to not close off and withdraw when I have episodes or, or just can't quite function. I don't, I don't want to say normal, but, but function on a productive level, I guess. I'd rather tell people this is what's going on then have people notice it and assume things that aren't going on because the internet does that. Um, (laughs) So, so I've just, I've really been shocked with how many people, when you are very visible with your struggles, how many people are right there with you at that exact same time, how many people need that support also at that exact same time. And I think that's what's beautiful about talking about your mental health issues and not being ashamed and not dealing with them alone is that when you do that, you're able to not only find support for yourself, but you're able to give support to another person who didn't realize they weren't the only person struggling at that time. I also, you know, I talked about mental health in my book because It's something, especially adoptees, hide. And I've noticed a lot of adoptees have been very visible with their mental health. And I appreciate that so much because when I see that, I think, oh my God, (laughs) you've been in bed for four days? Me too. Or you (laughs) made an ass print impression on your chair from... Be, you know, spending a week just sitting there watching reruns of like Downton Abbey, me too. Yeah. So I love that in, in starting conversations like that, that other people feel comfortable to talk about it too and share that space and share that part of themselves because it's so hard. So when I see people courageously letting people know, I am going through something and I need space or I am going through this and I need a break or I'm sorry I've been gone for so long, but I was really struggling to see things like that means a lot to me. And I see it not as a negative thing that there's so many mental health issues, you know, people struggling with mental health issues. I see it as a beautiful thing that people feel safe enough to say that out loud. And instead of someone being like, you are so lazy, why can't you get off your ass? You know, you get support and outreach and 
it's mind blowing, you know, what we can do once we find our safe space and our people in our community. So I want everyone to know that it's, it's all valid. It's all part of the journey and it's all part of our identities. And we should not be ashamed that we struggle. We should embrace that we struggle. And I think be honest with the people around us of our struggles so we can know how to better help each other. Mm -hmm. And especially on that point, because I think that, you know, along with the mental health struggles that adoptees have, you know, we also have those lines of feeling like we aren't worthy or feeling like we have to be perfect and we can't, you know, to bring it back to last season, drop any plates. So there's just this disconnect, I feel like when we don't talk about it, that, you know, here's this cohort of people who are having a hard time and maybe are depressed and are spending, you know, days in bed or you know, there are a lot of times when we need to discreetly tap out because we feel like, oh, it has to be hidden. People can't know. And that fuels that idea of perfectionism and, you know, proving that we're worthy and that's so exhausting, but it's just, it's, it's this vicious cycle. So I think, you know, you're a hundred percent right. The more that people talk and the more that people are are vocal and normalize it and accepting and supportive, it helps untangle that entire just gigantic messy knot of all of the things that we deal with. Yes. Yes. And I just, I'm so proud of all of us. <laughs> you know, when I see, when I see so many adoptees talk about that, I, I'm so proud because I know how much it took to write that and get it out for one. And then I know how much it took to hit the button to post that. So everyone should be proud of themselves for the things they're willing to talk about and never apologize. Hannah, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast. We still get text messages saying that we're learning so much from all of your guests. And I can say personally, just really appreciate you being so honest and open about your personal life. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other people too out there that are really going to love your story. So before we let you go, just wanted to recognize that season two, we are identifying and celebrating our Korean heritage and our adoption stories. But at the same time, is there anything that you want to let everyone know that you're really proud of today or in the future that you're doing or working on or progressing towards that really has become a big you know, part of who you are? I think one of the things I, I just in general am most proud of about myself is that I am finding this community and I'm, I'm just diving into it, you know, I'm just running at full force and I want to like hug all of you. And I just have really found my voice and my safe space in this community. And so I really am trying to work towards amplifying adoptee voices and Asian voices uh, with my work with the Universal Asian, with my work as a person. Part of what I do with the Universal Asian is I interview members of the Asian community, whether adopted or a hyphenated Asian. I love talking to everyone. And then I love being able to write their story. And that's why I joined that particular group of individuals because they were bringing together um, the Asian community with Asian adoptees. 
And that's something I'm so passionate about because the, the Asian community does not know about us. They simply don't know the history and the stories of Asian adoptees. And so I think it's so important for us to start merging together as one community and learning our histories as authentic Asians and their communities learning about all the adopted Asians that they were not aware were being bought and sold. So it's an interesting time of awareness and awakening that we're in right now. And I'm so excited to be part of helping amplify people's voices like you guys are doing. And this community is amazing at supporting and amplifying each other. And I think you're a huge part of that. And I just want to jump in and start doing as much as I can that, you know, other people have trailblazed for me so that I can start doing the work, putting in the work to help build up this community that I'm, I'm coming to love so much. So that's what I'm really excited about for the future. Um, I hope every single person will contact the Universal Asian because I would love to sit down one-on-one and interview everyone. Or if you're a podcast, uh, talk to whoever's part of your organization or podcast or whatever it is you're doing and tell your story. Thank you so much for all of that. And before we close, I hope you have fun at the game. The Packers are coming into town. I'm looking at my phone. My Green Bay Packers are coming into town Sunday, November 7th. So maybe you and I will have to do some sort of little bet. And if the Chiefs win, you know, we'll, we'll have to figure out something that I have to do. But if the Packers win... If the Chiefs win, you have to eat an actual dab of the bomb. Oh, easy. I'll do it. No, no. We really talked about this on our uh our get to know each other call before we actually recorded. But uh I've actually had the bomb. We talked about our, our mutual love for hot ones. Uh but it does it does taste like battery acid. And it was really hot. But I think I could do that. Um so challenge accepted. We have time to revise that as we get closer to November. But I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start thinking on some good stuff, and we'll have to have like a little friendly wager or something like that. Definitely we'll have to get you like the bomb flavored bubble tea and kill a couple birds <laughs> with one stone. There you go. <laughs> and also, yeah, if, if you're a driver in Kansas and just stay off the roads for a couple years, you know, <laughs> some people are just getting their licenses. I only joke because I think all of our all of our parents have said that. Stay off the road, my kids. My kids get yeah. driver's license. <laughs> yes, unsafe conditions. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This was this was so much fun. I really appreciate your guys' energy, and you're amazing. Thank you. We're so glad to have you. We're so glad to have you on the podcast as part of the community. Um, We're looking forward to seeing what happens as your book gets even more promoted and as we connect with you and other facets of the community. And as always, thank you all for listening. You can follow Hannah on Instagram at thehannahlee. And you can also visit her website at www.thehannahleewrites.com. And that's where you can learn more about her and buy her book, The Ones Who Misbehave. And as always, follow us on Instagram at Soul Conversations. Check out our website, www.soulconversationspodcast.com. And feel free to send us an email at soulconversationspodcast at gmail.com. Have a wonderful week, and we will catch you all on our next episode.
Bye, everyone. <laughs>